0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 23rd chapter. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I, commit my, I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. When all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who though a member of the council had not agreed to their plan and action, he came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Children's message will follow the sermon today. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In late September of 1975, and married less than a month, I received the assignment at Mount Airy Seminary to do my field work here at Upper Dublin Lutheran Church, under the tutelage of Pastor Tom Clay. The building was squeaky new. The fabled Kirk of old, historic stone church across the road had just been torn down. The people were visibly in grief and in joy, celebrated the new building and mourned the loss of the old, which was unsavable. My job was to come on Sunday morning and assist where needed, help in the Sunday school and then go to council meetings and anything else that Pastor Clay. So I came up here to my first council meeting in October And one of the points of interest, uh, points on the agenda, was Pastor Clay's resignation as pastor at Upper Dublin (laughs) Lutheran Church. I said, what did I do? (laughs) I'd only been here one week. Pastor Clay, it turns out, changed careers and was a social worker. I met him several times over in Bucks County over the years and was... Happier in his new role, though I admired him as a preacher. So he served from October when I started till May. as kind of a lame duck pastor till I was done and he was done and he went on to his new career. I looked forward to his sermons every week. He was a gifted preacher and I dreaded preaching here. I had never had preaching training and there were two other factors. Dr. McCurley, the Old Testament professor, was a member of this congregation. And Dr. Lazarus was a member of this congregation. And they were both so high in my estimation, and I hadn't learned enough to even speak to them uh, in the sermon, you can imagine. So I prepared for my, I think I preached three times that year, prepared like crazy. And both of their wives responded, reported to their husbands what a great job I'd done. They never were here when I did. <laughs> And within a month, Linda was hired to be your organist choir director, my wife, and uh, we've been working together for 40 years, three synods, and uh, four calls, and two or three interims, and a variety of bridge assignments. She's playing at the Peace Lutheran Church in Tohicken outside of Perkasie, which is why she doesn't come down. Kari often travels with me, our adult daughter, and we, we catch the sermon on live stream, and then drive four minutes from our home in Maple Glen and come down here and catch the whole service here, late service. Quick word about, uh, no, I'd say, I, I told you that pastors in Canada, Pastor on and uh, I came last week out into the service in the woods to find out what to do, and I was able to be there this morning and lead worship, and it was quite a crowd and, and a very... Uh, very, very interesting in the woods and cool, and, and, uh, and I survived. But the, the assignment today is not Mary, Mother of Our Lord, which is the date, August 15th, and it's not the fourth or fifth Sunday of bread, which is the month, but it's Joseph of Arimathea. And so I said, Both pastors leave town and leave me with a task I've never, a, a, a challenge that I've never a, a risen to before. Joseph of Arimathea, new text for me. We know Joseph in the coat of many colors from the Old Testament, how he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and rescued the tribes of Israel from famine. We know the other Joseph married Mary, whose day is today. But what do we know of this third Joseph? Not much. Matthew says he is a rich man and a disciple of Jesus Mark says Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, so he was a closet Christian and a member of the Supreme Court of Israel, an august body, and he had not consented to their decision and action, whatever that might have been. Mark 15 notes his motive for this action of rescuing Jesus and burying him Because he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, Joseph wished to prevent the body from hanging on the cross overnight to secure for it an honorable burial. Joseph, in short, gave Jesus a tomb to be buried in. And unlike the storage units on 309, it was a short-term stay. Now the study book asks some intriguing questions about Joseph. Could he, as a member of the Sanhedrin, Supreme Court of Israel, not have done more to avert the crucifixion of Jesus? As one of the 73 members of the great Sanhedrin and secret follower of Jesus, couldn't he have done more? I'd say probably not. Pretty risky just going to Pilate and asking for Jesus' body. But this overlooks a key issue, doesn't it? What authority did the Sanhedrin have in the crucifixion of Jesus? Asking that question reveals a serious bias. Who killed Jesus? For centuries, Christendom taught that it was the Jewish people who sanctioned Jesus' death. The church of old taught that the Jews killed Jesus. It is hard to even say those words, but it is the truth of history, and we should all be repenting of ever holding that position. Even the study guide seems to assume this viewpoint. Repeat after me. Jesus, the Romans crucified Jesus of Nazareth. The Romans crucified Jesus of Nazareth. From our lips to our heart, how many decades will that take? The Romans killed Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea showed great courage in very troubling times by asking for the body of Jesus and seeing that He was buried in a rushed but proper Hebrew burial. Anointing and washing could be done after the Sabbath. And the women were prepared. Joseph stood up, stood up, and in a wicked time he entered the breach. So now who is this Joseph? What was it that he did? Well, we know that now. So what? You say that with me? So what? Say it again. Yeah, we know what he did. What's that got to do with us? Well, we also live in deeply troubling times. Folks aren't getting along very well just now, as you might have noticed. Actions have consequences. Don't be the nail that sticks out, we seem to say, as we walk around during the day. Because everybody seems to have a hammer, or worse. That fellow who... um, in my acquaintance, was describing his, i got the right page here, acquaintance of mine, he left her husband and took her three sons, they were almost young adults, and ran off with her boyfriend, and back in June, got sick, and she and her husband were buried in July, She didn't believe in the vaccine. And these young adult sons, uh, one was still living at home, and they're trying to figure out life right now. A little closer to us, two responsible adults had a baby a few years back, and everybody in the family had to get the MMR shot. Mumps, measles, rubella, you know. We had it, but we had to get the booster. And their family, all the adults had to get the booster before they could touch the baby. And they had another baby and they had another baby, and they had another baby. They have four kids under 10 years old. Every time they leave the house, they buckle those kids into their special seat belts that they have for their age-appropriate size and height. Never leave the driveway without that. But every time they play with my grandchildren, I can't see them for 10 days because they won't get a vaccine. We live in troubling times. We need to step up and do what needs to be done to keep the community safe. Doing the right thing. Planting the seed of the dead Jesus in that tomb. Stepping into the breach, uh, taking responsibility so that the resurrection could happen on Sunday morning. Resurrected to new life. Joseph was interested in Jesus' teaching about the new creation. He was following the events of the day. and Joseph got involved. Joseph stepped out of his comfort zone of privilege, his zone of entitlement, member of the Supreme Court, and provided for the burial of Jesus, a man he admired from a distance, And Jesus got up close and personal. He spoke to Pilate, the dreaded Roman overlord, and got the body of Jesus released to him. He got his hands dirty, and probably his reputation in the process, but he did what needed to be done. Why do we get involved in anything? We see something that needs doing, and we do it, And often we find some others who see things from our viewpoint and help one another to get things done. When asked what motivated us to get involved, we say, well, it seemed like the thing to do. Sometimes we even say, it's what I do. Thinking about Gus Smith, the church council president, pastor resigns, he says, I'll be leaving in seven months. He did what needed to be done. He organized this congregation. He got them moving forward. He got the outreach going and showed me a lesson in parish administration that I never would have had otherwise. Pastor John Heidgert is a new pastor, a relatively new pastor at Emanuel Lutheran in Souderton. He was a big wig. His part time job at seminary was CFO, came from a business background took this church his first call, or maybe his second call. Emmanuel Church in Southerton is a big church and very proud and not very active. But at the beginning of the COVID outbreak, he saw something that the people in Southerton didn't see. He saw something that they wouldn't acknowledge. He saw food insecurity. And he said, we could do something about that. Anybody comes to the church gets a free meal And the first day, they handed out about 15, and word got around. And the police got involved, and the word got out that the police, if you're an undocumented resident, the police aren't going to bother you. They just want you to have food. And the chief sent the police cars to the homes of shut-ins in the community and brought them, drove them to the church, and as they drove by, we volunteers put bags of food in their car, enough for a week cops would bring them down the next week, and eventually, you know, got organized. Refrigerators came, state grants came, and the next thing, they're providing a lot of meals, and this month, 17 months into it, their 20,000th meal for town. Oh, they don't need anything. People in Southerton people take care of themselves. Everybody's families, you, know, you know, but they don't recognize the folks moving in don't have four generations of families. Pastor Heidgert saw that. He stepped into the breach. He led his people to the point where Manuel now says, well, it's what we do. It wasn't always what we do, but it is what they do now, and I'm real proud of it. You know that lesson here, well here at Upper Dublin. you provided for people in need in this, in adjoining communities, and on two continents. Pastor Douglas was here, remember, he had a truck, and he had all these immigrants coming from Africa, and they had to be resettled. By God, they... They they populated, they they restaffed the Artman home, the Lutheran home at Telford and all the other places, the Mennonite home. All these people came and they got they had training and Upper Dublin had a truck and you had a piece of furniture. They came and picked it up when they needed it, and needs were met for a time, an emergency. Stepped into the breach. It's what we do, you said. And you do it now on two continents and you do it in your community, and you do it for world hunger, and you do it for so many things. Perhaps there are some needs worth looking into now, now that the restrictions have been lifted. Perhaps this is even more powerful. Knowing what we know about Zoom meetings and technologies, can we even organize to do new things if we get locked down again? I think the answer is yes. Think of all the things we learned about keeping in touch while we were separated physically from one another. We did more than just survive. We found ways to step up to mission. That's the spirit of Joseph of Arimathea. Active in service because we do it in Christ's name. We plant the body in the tomb so that there can be a resurrection to new life. Whether it's a new building, a historic congregation, We try to move into new eras of community service because that is our calling, living in the resurrection promise. Amen.